John chapter 10, we'll uh, begin in verse 11 and read through verse 15. This is God's word eternally true. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Now turn a few pages to the right. We'll look at John 18, beginning in verse 33. This is in the midst of uh, Jesus' trial, and he's being uh, he's talking with Pilate, the Roman governor. John 18, uh, starting in verse 33, going to verse 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus. And asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now... My kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Here ends our reading. We have a response of thankfulness that's printed for us in our bulletins. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks indeed. Let's pray. We've been talking about how the gospel, which means the good news, um, is that Jesus is our king. And the reason that's good news is because Jesus has all these, if he is our king, we get all these benefits that he has worked for us. Kind of like if you have a, a, a father who's uh, worked hard and, and he earns a good living, you as the kid growing up in the family have these benefits that your father has earned by his, his working hard. Or if you as a kid have a, a mother who works hard to, to mother you and to do all the things a good mother does, that's of great benefit for you. Um, That's good news that you have such parents. Well, Jesus is not shy about communicating that the good news is him. And God's people, the Jews, that's who Jesus primarily speaks to uh, during his time here on the earth. God's people understood what that meant to have a king. And so we've been looking at that and seeing seven or eight things, however you count them. I was trying to get my numbering straight um, as I uh, prepared this, this uh, uh, not this morning. I'm not that, <laughs> not that much of a pre- procrastinator. Prepared this for this morning. 
Uh, but we've been looking at that, and, and that's John's point. We look at the end of John, and John just puts all his cards on the table as he writes to, to Jewish Christians, Christians who came from a Jewish background. Uh, he writes them to assure them that their faith in Jesus as their king has been the right thing. And that the suffering that they were enduring then in A.D., probably around A.D. 90, was worth it. And that they should look no further for a king, uh, a Messiah, a Christ, than Jesus, who came as the new and final son of David, the anointed one. Kings in the Old Testament were the anointed ones that led God's people, and Jesus comes as this anointed one. He also comes as a prophet and priest who were the other anointed figures in the Old Testament. But the great one who was missing, the great office of the Old Testament that was missing when Jesus came on the scene was the office not of prophet, they had John the Baptist, uh, not of priest, they had numbers of priests who are condemning Jesus here in this John 18 passage, but they hadn't had a king for 600 years. And so that's why they're asking, could this be the Christ, the anointed one, the king? Could this be the Messiah, the anointed one, the king? And so John writes, and we see it in John 20, verse 30. You know, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, many of which are not recorded in this book. But I write these to you, he says. To these Jewish believers who believed in Jesus and now are suffering for their faith in believing that Jesus was their king and that the king was a non-resident on the earth. That the king was not someone who would take up a throne in physical earthly Jerusalem and kick the Romans out and make things politically nice for them and socially nice for them where all their neighbors were covenant people. And they'd never be persecuted as they lived in their house and lived their daily life. Um, they were banking all their eternity on their king being one who was king reigning from heaven. As we read in Hebrews 1 this morning in our uh, preparation for the hearing of God's word. After Jesus made purification for sins, he sat down. Actually, that's the next verse. He sat down at the right hand of God. And so these Jews that John writes to, who had believed in Jesus, believed their king was reigning from heaven over people from every nation, including Gentiles. And this was getting them guff. But John brings to them in the Gospel of John all these reasons why receiving Jesus as king Receiving Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, had been the right thing to do, regardless of what they would suffer for it on the earth. And so that speaks to us today as, as a minority people who truly believe, who have saving faith in Jesus and get made fun of for being faithful to Jesus, for doing certain things and not doing certain things that stands in great contrast to the world. And so our introduction is the same as it's been as we've looked at this. Um, why, why a king uh, is the gospel um, today, talking about him being a shepherd.
but a king is the good news. That's your introduction. A king is the good news because the king accomplishes great and many benefits for his people. And these things were all marked out in the Old Testament. All the Jews who heard Jesus speak and had his words uh, bending their eardrums, they understood these things that we've been talking about. All the benefits of having a faithful son of David as their king. And so Jesus comes on the scene, Mark 1.15, and says, Hear the good news. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, that's the good news, the kingdom. Um, the Jews understood this, and that's John 12, Palm Sunday, before they ended up rejecting Jesus as king, probably because they realized that he wasn't interested in taking up a throne in Jerusalem, that he wasn't going to be the same kind of king as David, uh, but a greater king, but a king that would mean they would suffer still in this life and not have a king like David who would kick all the enemies of his people out of the land. Um, but the people perceiving that Jesus is the son of David praise him as the son of David on Palm Sunday and they say, blessed is the king of Israel. That's what they declare as Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, as Solomon had come into Jerusalem on a donkey when Jesus was, or when, when David was uh, arranging Solomon's coronation ceremony. Having Solomon ride up um, from the east side of Jerusalem into town and be anointed as king um, or baptized as king. Uh, Jesus declares that his baptism was a baptism of death. <laughs> so Jesus has this dual anointing in the Gospels, the anointing by John the Baptist and the anointing of death at the cross. Um, so that's, that's our good news, um, that Jesus the King uh, has come. Um, so number nine, our ninth thing. Actually, it's our tenth, but I got off in our numbering along the way, so I didn't want to confuse it. <laughs> but, but what's the message for us? Jesus as King, by his ruling, that's your blank, by his ruling and shepherding of you. By his ruling and shepherding of you, um, you are satisfied and blessed. You are satisfied and blessed in life and in death. That's our point. It's the last point we're going to look at. Um, all these points, these nine points, there's overlap probably that we could draw between all nine of them together. But we're looking at this particular point of the king is a shepherd for God's people this morning. So A, all these points now could just flow out of this uh, point nine, that by his ruling and shepherding of you, Jesus, um, you have a life and a death with satisfaction and blessing. So A, rejoice. What do we do with this truth? We rejoice. We rejoice that Jesus, as your king, is your ruler. Rejoice that Jesus, as your king, is your ruler. So one way rejoice that we've, we've been talking about, rejoice that Jesus is your king, but this specific aspect of Jesus, two aspects we'll talk about this morning, that your king rules you. Yeah, it's like our expression, who's your daddy? <laughs> Who rules you? 
And, and generally, especially as Americans, we don't want anyone ruling us. You're not my daddy. <laughs> You're not my dad, we say. But we rejoice that we have a ruler, that Jesus rules us. That's a good thing. That's good news. And we rejoice that he rules us in contrast to anyone else ruling us, but especially in contrast to us ruling ourselves. That's good news. Realize that about your sin nature. You know, John Galatians 5, 16 through 21, right before he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the fruit of the flesh. Here's who we are apart from the Spirit constraining us. And so we're full of jealousy and hatred and envy, all these things that bring destruction to our lives. And so it would be bad news if we were ruling ourselves. And many of us, if you lived a while before believing in Jesus, you know there are a lot of bad things that you're still reaping the, not the benefits, the destruction of from habits you developed in your life or things that you did before Jesus was your king. And so know that it's good, good news and rejoice that as your king, Jesus rules you. It's not just Jesus defeats your enemies. That's one of the past things we talked about. He defeats Satan and, you know, and death in your sin nature. But, but it's, he doesn't just defeat your enemies and then leave. He defeats your enemies and then stays in your life and rules you. And that's good news. Um, so note, note this, number one. And, and we see this uh, in the passage we looked at plenty of places, but we looked at John 18 to see it. Jesus came to the world to be king. That's why he came. It's what he states in, in, in John 18. If I get back to it, I'll, if I can get back to it, I'll, I'll read it um, to you. As Pilate says, oh, you are a king then, because Jesus has said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, I'd have followers and they would have fought so I wouldn't be arrested and I wouldn't be here before you. But my kingdom is not of this world. And that goes back to Pilate's question. He's heard from the Jews that Jesus has claimed to be king. And that was the chief question that, that brought Jesus to the guilty verdict when he was in the trial before the Sanhedrin. Are you the Christ? Get it? The king, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And think there, it's true. He's deity, son, second person in the Trinity, eternal God. But that's not what Caiaphas, the high priest, is asking. He's talking 2 Samuel 7. Because the king, the sons of David, God declares in 2 Samuel 7, he will be my son, speaking of Solomon and his sons after them who reign. And that's a lowercase s. Not didn't mean Solomon became divine. It meant God treated the king over his people as his special son. And the Old Testament declares all God's people in the Old Testament, his children. And God declares himself father in the Old Testament. This is not new in the, when the New Testament comes along. But the king of all people, 2 Samuel 7, 14, would be the son. And so you see Caiaphas's question there that, that settles it all when Caiaphas tears his robes and says, what need for me? What need do we have for more witnesses who can't agree? We've got nowhere they going that way. But Jesus, is he's testified himself. He is the Christ. 
the son of the living God. He's claimed to be our king. And so they, they drag him off. And so they drag him off. And we don't see it right here in John. We see it in other gospels there that they, they say, you know, Pilate, you know, how can you be loyal to Caesar? This man's claim to be king. Caesar's king, isn't he? Pilate says, oh, yeah. So he comes to Jesus here and says, Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, he doesn't get to the answer right away. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and so Pilate picks up on it and says, well, you, you are a king then. Um, verse 37 of chapter 18. Uh, Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. And then here's our point. In fact, for this reason, for what reason? To be king. For this, for this reason, to be king, I have come into the world. Um, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. This truth. I'm the son of David. I am the fulfillment of my father's promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, which we call the Davidic covenant, that God's people will always be ruled over by a king who would be a son of David. And this is cemented now because I'm here and I live forever and I will take up a throne and it won't be in Jerusalem. Then I'll die and someone else will succeed me as king. I will take up the eternal throne and I will always from now on be king over God's people. And so Jesus came into the world to be king uh, of God's people. Um, and this is why Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand from the beginning. His first preaching. He came into the world to be king. So his message, his gospel, his good news is all about a king and a kingdom. Um, number two. So indeed, God's people in Jesus' day who recognized Jesus as king rejoiced. And this John, John 12, 13, that's Palm Sunday. They're rejoicing. They're dancing before him and saying, blessed is the king of Israel. They recognize that having a king is something to rejoice over. And so we want to recognize that Jesus as our king, that's something for us to rejoice over. If we understand what a king does for his people, like the Jews on Palm Sunday understood what a king meant for God's people, we would rejoice. Um, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They, sh they shout as they rejoice. Now B, B. So we rejoice that Jesus as your king is your ruler. And then B, rejoice that Jesus as your king is your shepherd, is your shepherd. Um, next line there for you. The kings of Israel, the kings of Israel were not only to be rulers, but also shepherds. Um, so they weren't distant and high and mighty um, ru rulers only, but they were shepherds of God's people. So Second Samuel 5 Bob read for us this morning. It's when all the David had been a king over his own tribe, the tribe of Judah, for seven and a half years, we read. Uh, but then all tribes come to him in 2 Samuel 5 and say, say, you know what? 
When we went out to battle, you were the one who led us. Even when Saul was king, you were the one who gave us victory. So you should be our king. All 12 tribes, even the tribe of Benjamin, which was Saul's tribe. They come to Jesus and say, you shall be, um, and here's what they say. Not only uh, has God promised you, David, that you will become our ruler, but 2 Samuel 5, 2 says this. And the Lord said to you, David, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. Psalm 78, Bob read for us as well. Verse 70, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. See, David had training to be king in his previous vocation of being shepherd. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. Verse 71 of Psalm 78, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And so David rules his people, Israel, but he rules them as a shepherd. And he shepherds them. That's the kind of king, each king in Israel, each son of David was to aspire to be like David a shepherd of the people to lead and guide them. All those things we see like in Psalm 23. Um, and so Jesus, as the son of David and king, he declares his shepherding to in John 10, 10 and says, I am the good shepherd. That's the king speaking there. I am the good shepherd. I call my own sheep by name and I lead them out. Now see, see, rejoice that Jesus, as your king, rules, guides, and shepherds. Jesus, as your king, rules, guides, and shepherds, or leads you. And how does he do it? He doesn't speak audibly to you. If he's speaking audibly to you, come talk to me. <laughs> we'll straighten you out. Um. And if you wonder about that, look at your preparation for the hearing of God's word. In past times, he spoke to us in ways directly like to prophets and in visions and in dreams. But today, the writer of Hebrews says, in the 60s, 30 years after Jesus was dead, he's spoken to us in his son. That is, Jesus came and he spoke to us. He, he made clear the gospel and, and what all these Old Testament things meant, what the sacrifices meant what the kingship of David meant. And he made those things clear uh, to us and spent 40 days with his apostles after his resurrection, teach, instructing them about the kingdom of God. And he told his disciples in John 14 and, and 15, 14, 26 and 15, 26, that he would send his spirit. He told his disciples, this, I'll send my spirit to you because one, as we see throughout, and we'll see throughout the Gospel of John, they were not able to take and receive and understand everything that they were going to have to preach and teach. And you see these many statements by John, we didn't understand this when it happened. But after he had been glorified and given, us, and given his spirit in this great way, we understood. But Jesus speaks in John 15, 26 and says, 
you know, that he will give them his spirit and the spirit of truth and he will teach them of things to come. Um, and this speaks of inscripturation, um, that he would he would continue to speak to us. But through this through this book, um, through the Bible. And so rejoice that Jesus as your king rules, guides and shepherds, leads you by his moral law. We talked about that a little bit in Sunday school today. He leads us by his moral law. And those are the commands in Scripture which tell you how to live. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, you know, who, who, who being God, you know, did not regard equality with God to be grasped, but, but took the form of a servant. Um, and so we're, we're commanded these things um, through the moral law, that, how to live, serve other people. Um, uh, treat other people is what Paul says right above that Philippians 2 3 treat other people is more important than yourself uh, all these commands we have in scripture about how we behave toward people how we behave toward God that's the moral law our behavior how we act toward people uh, we we are truthful we're fair we we forgive we're patient we're gracious we're kind we're gentle we're strong for people. We're defenders of people because they bear his image. We're merciful and we're compassionate. These are all things communicated for us in the moral law of God. If someone's needy and doesn't have a, a, a protector and a defender, we serve that role for them. Now, all through the law of God in the Old Testament and as, as James would say in, in, the passage, in the verses right after Bob read for us, we continue to do that to protect those who are who are in need. So all kinds of things in the moral law. Um, we we look to Jesus as his shepherding of us, his leading, his guiding us. Um, think kingdom. If you're in a kingdom um, or a real kingdom, a pre Magna Carta kingdom, um, you have a king and he's an absolute monarch. There's no Congress. There's no Senate and House of Representatives. There's no House of Lords and House of Commons. Other people who are making the laws. If you're in a kingdom, you know who makes the laws? The king. That's why Mel Brooks says it's good to be the king, right? Um, the king makes the, makes the laws. Um, and so think of that as you think about the law of God. He's our king, and a king makes the laws for the people in his kingdom. Now, people who are outside the kingdom, they're not under those laws. Um, they can do what they want. But people who are in the kingdom obey those laws, and if they don't, you know, there are consequences and penalties. That's part of being a king, part of being in a kingdom. Now, the difference is between Jesus and David is David comes along and David as king doesn't write any laws. The laws have been written already by Moses. And so David is a uh, um, uh, he is the executive branch. <laughs> he enforces the law of God, the law of Moses. And that's what David's doing throughout his kingdom. He is, and throughout his kingly reign, he's enforcing God's laws. He's communicating God's laws to the people. He's encouraging God's people that they follow God's laws. And we see this in the Psalms as he inscripturates these, these exhortations to God's people. 
But the difference is when Jesus is he, the son of David, the ultimate son of David, the ultimate king comes and he's the writer of the law that David had. John calls him, John 1, 1, the word. Um, and so he is the king who's, who's made the laws. And he comes, that's why it's so ironic and so so terrible when the Pharisees try to outdo Jesus on, on the understanding of the law. Jesus wrote the law. <laughs> and they're saying, you don't understand this very well, Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so here, our king gives us, if we're in his kingdom, he's given us law. Um, and so... John 14, 21, that we looked at last week. Jesus says, whoever has my commands, hear the king, my commands, my laws, whoever has them, whoever's in my kingdom, whoever has my commands and obeys them. Think about this in the kingdom, obeying the laws. What if everyone loves the king and thinks the king is all wise in a kingdom? Well, they'll all obey his laws. Why are you obeying these laws? Some foreigner might come in and ask. And, and, and the citizens say, well, our king is all wise. You know, think about that if you're under Solomon, for example. Why am I obeying the laws? Well, our king is all wise. I mean, look at the kingdom. Look at what happens in society when everyone obeys our king's laws. It's wonderful. This is why the king of Sheba comes up. And she, you know, she says, I heard all this, so I had to come before you. And she comes with all these gifts because... What she's heard is so great. And then she comes and sees it. And she says, this is greater than I was told. Your wisdom. And she names the way Solomon is administering his kingdom by the law of God. And so Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. See the kingdom picture of this. My king's told me to do this. And I love my king. My king's gone to battle for me. My king's made my, my house safe. My king means we don't lose in battle. My king means that when foreigners try to attack us, he protects us. My house doesn't get burnt down. My king means the temple is up and running. And so my, sac my, my sins are being forgiven because animals are dying in my place because the temple's up and running and he makes sure the priests have what they, what they need. This is all function of the king. And so I love my king because my life is good because he's here. And that's why I, why I obey my king. I look around, you know, it's like if there's a, a, a good, good boss and the company's just running like that. You come into the company as a new person and you just want to do everything everyone else is doing because you see you've worked for other companies and you've seen how bad it is. And now you're in a company where things are just, it's a well-oiled machine. And so you learn and you listen and you do things the company way because it's done so well. And that's the picture of Jesus as king and his kingdom. That's why our little church here is so beautiful. It's because we say God's law is important. He actually gives us specific things to do. And he tells us, be patient and be gracious and don't judge that person. And comfort that person and strengthen that person. And don't look at that person for his faults, but for his strengths. And appreciate that person and appreciate, you know, God's brought you in amongst us. And so this is a, a safe place.
place we're in because Jesus is our king and we're just walking in his ways as best as best we can. And so Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys him, he is the one who loves me. And so that's a call from our king, John 14, 21. Be a loyal subject. And why be subject? Because your king loves you. And it's easy to be subject to someone who loves you. Because they have your best interests in mind. Um, Lord, uh, watched, I was telling uh, Randy and, and who else was that, Bill? We, uh, I watched Shrek again. Uh, Maller and I, we said something about, something at dinner time came up. The song, his song, oh, I said, I said, Alexa, play uh, I'm a Believer by the Monkees. And, and uh, 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 Mallory said, the monkey sang that? Because in Shrek, it's, it's Smash Mouth that sings that same song. And I said, yeah, it's the monkeys. And so we had a discussion about the monkeys. But um, I love the monkeys. I had their little corgi car. If you know what a corgi car is, their station wagon um, there. Uh, but, but we watched Shrek, you know, so Thursday night or something like, something like that. So, you know, I got to see. Say three, my lord. <laughs> it's the executioner. And then he says, say three, my lord. And then he looks down at his fingers and he still doesn't get it. <laughs> but, but we say lord and lord and recognize in scripture, you know, sometimes lord is used for somebody who's not God. Because it's a term you use for your king or for, to someone who's your authority or someone who's your superior. And so that's why we have, like, in the Old Testament, Lord, that's not all capitals. That's the word, if you've heard it, Adonai. And so that's used, like, of Abraham and other people, just of a king, someone who's your authority. But then we have Lord in all caps, which is Yahweh, and that's God himself, and no one else is Yahweh. The God, you know, the God of, the God of hosts. Um, that, 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 uh, so um, Lord in Scripture is, is something you call your king. Um, so David is called Lord, but he's called Adonai uh, in Scripture. Um, some call Jesus Lord, um, and uh, in in his uh, life, uh, partially because they, well, probably mostly because they see him as king. Um, it's kind of a surprise even to his disciples that Jesus is God Himself. Um, but they uh, call him Lord. But uh, some will call him Lord when he comes again. And Jesus talks about them in Matthew seven twenty one, And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who, you know, at the end of that, it's only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Uh, and so Jesus says, you know, th th those who go to heaven have me as their king. Some claim I'm their king and they'll say, Lord, Lord, to me. And they'll say, I never knew you. And so this idea, this kingdom idea and the, the good news is the kingdom of God. See how this all fits together. The good news is we're in this kingdom. And that we have this Lord, this king, who is Jesus, who's given us his law. And Jesus describes when he comes again that he says a day is coming, John 5. He says, a day, John 5, uh, 28 and 29, a day is coming when all who are in their graves 
will rise up. Those who have done good will be raised to live. And those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, that's not justification by works. That means those who have Jesus as Lord, those who have Jesus as their king, those who are regenerated, those who are born again, they're going to have lives where they've just done good works. In Matthew 25, Jesus is going to say, come, you who have done good works, join me and, and, and inherit the kingdom, is what he says. And we're going to say, the sheep, what good works have we done? Because the Holy Spirit's worked in us humility. And we're going to say, we don't deserve this. Um, but those who are goats say, when have we never done good works? Right? They're the Lord, Lord people. They thought they were in, but Jesus was really not their king, guiding their lives and how they lived their lives. They didn't understand that they had a loving king who gave them commands to live by because he loved them. That's what Jesus does in his commands. He loves you and says, John, don't do this, do this. Because he, he, he knows my frame and he wants good things for me. He wants my soul to be well. So just see that as all, all together. This is not justification by, by works. This is those who are justified. You know, we had Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 in our declaration of the gospel. Some of you know Ephesians 2, 10, the next verse. It says, we were created in Christ Jesus, born again, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And so those who are born again, then jump over Sunday school people into what box? The sanctification box. And we say, thank you, my king, for shepherding me with your moral law. For telling me to go to this pasture and not over there because there, there were briars and wolves over there. And he said, John, don't do that. You were my king, my shepherd in that way. John, go over here instead. Don't live with, with bitterness and, and hatred. I'll take care of that, John. Walk over here. Be free from that. Um, forgive and be patient and love. Um, so our King Jesus guides and leads us and rules and shepherds us, his people, by his commands. By his commands. This is how he shepherds. It's not just a vague, oh, Jesus is my shepherd. It's no, Jesus says, hey, John, you're heading over there, wrong way. See, we're all heading over this way. You know, I'm just a sheep in the flock and he makes sure I'm coming along, okay? Tells us specific things. So number one, uh, in the times of the Old Testament, the king of God's people, the son of David, did not create the laws. He guided the people by the laws given by Moses. So we talked about that already because I got excited. <laughs> so here are your blanks, create and given. Those are your, your blanks there. So David just repeated. He already had God's law. But number two, in our day, the king of God's people, the son of David, is Jesus. Is Jesus, and he's the creator of all those laws. So John 1, 1, he's the word. Uh, uh, Hebrews 3, 2 through 3, it says Moses was just a servant in the house, even though he gave, he's the one God gave the laws through but Jesus is the son. He's the heir. Um, he's the lawgiver. Uh, and then Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 as well. Uh, 
now in these days, God has spoken to us in his son. Um, now, why is Jesus being king a problem sometimes uh, for people? Why is it a problem sometimes for us? Having Jesus as our, our king. Um, sometimes for you and me, sometimes number three, sometimes you resist Jesus shepherding. Every time I sin, every time you sin, we're resisting Jesus shepherding. Okay? Sometimes we resist Jesus shepherding as if his guidance commands will bring what's harmful or unenjoyable. As if his doing his commands, as if his guidance will bring us into something that's harmful or unenjoyable. Uh, but what you and each Christian, what I must realize in all things is that when that happens, here's your next blank. When that happens, when you say, I'm not sure if I'm going to obey this one. <laughs> this just seems too hard. Or it seems like if I just cut the corner here, things will be easier. Um, when that happens, remember, that's your blank there. When that happens, remember, A, realize that Jesus created you. John 1, verses 2 and 3. There's nothing that's been created that Jesus didn't create. So the Father declares, he decrees creation, but Jesus is the, the doer of creation in Genesis 1, we learn. Um, and in, in Hebrews, uh, uh, Hebrews 1, 3 as well, um, that you can see there in the preparing of God, uh, you know, preparation to hear God speak there, Hebrews 1, 3. Um, but John 1, 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Jesus gave you life. So he's your creator. And then B, realize. So realize when you're thinking about sinning, <laughs> when you're thinking about um, not walking in the ways of your shepherd king, um, realize that Jesus, therefore, because he created you, he knows your frame. He knows your frame. That is what you can handle. So if you're a fan of the movie Maverick, like I am, you know, that, that Tom Cruise completes that, that training run in like two minutes and 15 seconds. None of the trainees can do it under three. And he does it in 2.15. Man, that's a great scene, isn't it? I watch that every other day. But, but he, gets, he gets condemned by his commander, John Hamm, um, because he's probably bent the frame of the plane <laughs> that he's flying. Because the plane was not meant to endure that kind of G-force. And so he's probably ruined that plane. Uh, but, but God knows our frame because he's the creator. He doesn't have to look at an instruction manual, right, which Tom Cruise throws into the, into the bin uh, when he first goes up to command these, these uh, trainees. Uh, but, but God knows what we can handle. He knows you can't handle two wives. I always think of Jack Nicholson when I say you can't handle, right? You can't handle two wives. You can't handle holding a grudge. You can't, you can't handle uh, uh, your fits of anger against people. That will lead you into a place that you can't handle, that you weren't created. Your frame is not built for that. That's part of why we suffer in this life, because we sin and there's sin around us, and we're not framed to handle sin. We're not framed to handle the sin of others against us. We're not framed to handle the sin we ourselves do. That's why it's hard when people sin against us. We're not framed to take it. 
We just have this release valve of the forgiveness that Jesus gives us for other people, right? But remember this when you're tempted and when you're tempted not to follow your shepherd king who's leading you by his moral law. He's made you and he knows your frame. He knows your frame and therefore continuing on, he knows what is good for you. He knows what won't bend your frame. He knows what will give you endurance in your life. He knows what will, um, your blanks here. Let me, he therefore knows what is good for you. That's your blank. He knows what is second blank, satisfying or third blank in that sentence, satisfying to you, satisfying to you. He knows what will, next one, what will give you joy because he's framed you. He's hardwired you to have joy in certain things. So he's told you his moral law. So you'll walk in those things and have joy. And then lastly, he's framed you and he knows what will make your soul have peace. He knows what will make your soul have peace. Um, let me let me read you some passages about how God's law um, is good for good for us. How God's law uh, gives us joy. How God's law gives us peace. How God's law satisfies our soul. And and this is what God's word says about God's law. It does all these things. So Psalm 119.14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. So the world rejoices with great riches. I won the lottery. But one who understands what God's God's word is and how it uh, how it uh, blesses our lives, we rejoice in following God's statutes. There's joy in that. We talked about that some in, in Sunday school as well, but but here now too, we walk in God's way, and there's joy in that. John fifteen nine we looked at last week. Jesus says this: As the Father has loved me. So I have loved you now remain in my love. Now he defines what that means by remain in my love. What does remain in my love mean? He says next next word. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So Jesus has just told us, obey my commands, remain in my love. He goes on just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. And then get this, what does it do for us? Next verse, verse 11. I have told you this, not to rob you of your joy. Here's what he says. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And I always think of James Earl Jones in episode six of Star Wars. <laughs> Darth Vader always says, complete. In that movie. <laughs> uh, but God wants your joy to be complete. By how? Remaining in his love. How do you remain in his love? By obeying his commands. And this is not for your justification. This is not that you'll be saved. This is as you live your life. He wants you to have complete joy. He doesn't want you to be anxious for being found out for some sin that you've been in. Or being caught in some sin, like Bobby Hill when his mom comes in. Hi, Bobby. Nothing. <laughs> um, 
So there's joy. Why does Jesus give us his commands? Why does he tell us to obey his commands? Not to be accepted before him, but that we might have joy in life. Isaiah 32, 17. The fruit of righteousness will be peace, is what God tells us through Isaiah. The fruit of righteousness will be, will be peace. The effect, still, still reading Isaiah, the effect of righteousness, righteousness will be quietness, and confidence forever. Isn't that great? Quietness. Not anxiousness. Not nervousness in life or before others. Yeah, there was a time I was accused of different things and I had quietness in my soul. Because I, I knew I hadn't done those things. And I was able to say to those people who had been told those things, Look at me in the eyes. Oath to God, I have not done those things. And if there were video of my life 24-7, those things would not show up on the video. And not because I haven't, not because I edited the video, but because those things didn't happen. There was great blessing. There was quietness of soul. I didn't have to worry about some skeleton in my closet. And that's not to say I, I, I don't sin, but there were no sins that like disqualified me from ministry or that would disrupt any relationship that I had that I had been in quietness of soul. And that's what God wants for you. Quietness of soul and, and confidence as you walk around. Did you do this? No. Well, so and so said you did this. I didn't. Confidence, quietness of soul. Um, Psalm 119.35. Direct me in the path in the path of your commands for there I find delight. See, when you experience this, when you walk in God's commands and experience peace and quietness of soul and complete joy, we find delight in the doing of his commands. So James one twenty five, Bob read those that for us this morning where James is talking about. Don't just look at God's commands, do them. Here's what James concludes that with. The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, doing the commands, he will be blessed in what he does, in the doing of the commands. God's hardwired us to be blessed in the doing of God's commands. This is why non-believers feel good when they do habitat for humanity. Right? When they build a house for somebody. This is why non-believers feel good when they do altruistic works. Because they're hardwired. When I love another person, which is the moral law of God, when I love another person, and the more selfless it is, the more return I have in my soul for how good I feel. So um, we're blessed in the doing of God's law. Last one, Romans 2.15. Um, Paul says the law is in your heart and your conscience reacts to whether you're doing the law or disobeying it. He says there it accuses you when you disobey it. That is, you feel guilty. That's not a good feeling. <laughs> uh, and it defends and commends you when you obey it. Romans 2.15. He says this is even true for non-believers because the certain basic love God, love neighbor is, is there in your heart. But for us as believers, we know God's law in more detail. 
And so this, and Paul tells us there that, that we're commended, we're patted on the back by the Spirit of God as we walk in His ways. And, and God loves to do that. He loves to say, you know, way to go, uh, Steve. Way to go, Crystal. Way to go, Jeff. He loves doing that. God is in, in, in heavens like my dad was, you know, my mom were in the stands saying, go, John. Um, and, and that's the way God is in heaven. Um, he's not up there with a fly swatter. He's up there with a pennant. It says, go and fill in your name. He's rooting for you. He wants things to go well for you. And that's why Jesus is your king. Doesn't just win the battle over death for you and leave. He wins the battle over death for you and gets in your life. And he gives you his spirit and he gives you his law and he guides you as a shepherd. He directs you. He leads you in paths of what? Righteousness. So that you want to return. So that you want to dwell in his house all the days of your life. So that's your aspiration. So that's, a, you know, three major players in the PCA died Thursday and Friday. Um, Harry Reader at Christ Covenant Church um, uh, plowed into the back of a stopped dump truck in Charlotte, died instantly. Um, uh, Tim Keller uh, died of pancreatic cancer the next day um, and the day before. So th Thursday was was uh, Harry Reader, who was at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, who's been at, at uh, our founding our founding church uh, of the PCA in Birmingham. What's that? Briarwood, uh, at, at Briarwood for the last 20 years. Great guy, faithful, loved the Lord. People who knew him said he witnessed every person who, you know, like wait, was his waitress or waiter. Um, and just so many people came out of uh, his uh, ministering. Um, and, and there, so he died. A guy named Steve Smallman who came and preached to Christ, or Christ the King uh, for a year and, and has written a great, great man. Um, died on Thursday as well, and then Tim Keller died of pancreatic cancer on on uh, um, on, on Friday. He was in hospice just for four or five days, and then died. But uh, in in his last days, I didn't know Tim. Um, I actually came here as a result of walking through one of his classes <laughs> on a break. It's walking through one of his classes and, and uh, Terry Trailer, our mother church pastor was in that class and stopped me and said, Hey, I wanted to talk to you about coming to plant church in Raleigh. Um, so that's as close as I got to Tim Keller, but, but uh, uh, Tim Keller in his last days, his son, son said, he's asked us as his family to pray with him a lot. And we've been praying with him and, and he's, and he said, you know, and this is a great thing about all three of these guys, they're ready to go. And, and his, his, his prayer, his prayer was, God, I thank you for all the people who have prayed for me all my life and prayed for my ministry. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. But I'm ready to see Jesus take me. And that's what we get, you know, as believers. Um, we're ready to see the shepherd of our souls. The one who loves us, um, that our obedience to him might be perfect uh, because he's been so good uh, to us in our in our lives. Um, so next D, D. Um, rejoice because King Jesus, 
as your shepherd gave his life, gave his life that you as his sheep might live. Um, rejoice because King Jesus, as your shepherd, gave his life that you, his sheep, might live. Uh, so First Samuel 17, First Samuel 16, David is anointed as king by Samuel over God's people. And so what's the first thing he does in scripture? The next chapter, verse 17, he gives his life. He goes up before Goliath. And he said he quits guarding the sheep. You know, part of his argument to Saul that he should be the one that goes and fights Goliath. He says, I've fought a lion and a bear to protect my sheep, my literal sheep. Now I'll fight Goliath. And God was with me when I fought that lion and my bear for sheep. How much more will he be with me when I fight for his sheep, the children of Israel? So let me go and I don't need armor. And he comes up against Goliath and he says, you taunt the armies of the living God. You're in trouble. You come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, our God, and I'll feed your flesh to the birds this day. Hear that final battle language, you know, a prefigured in, in, in David. And, and, he, and he does. But this is the king we have, the one who faces death for us and conquers it. That's what a shepherd king does. He says, I'm the shepherd. The sheep shouldn't go fight. I need to go fight. I've been anointed by King as Samuel. Here I go. And so that's what, that's what Jesus does. That's Jesus going not to Goliath, but to the cross. Laying his life out. What does the good shepherd do? What does he tell us in, in John 10, 11 through 15? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm not a hireling. I don't go and run and hide when death comes in front of me. We read in, in scripture last night, uh, Mallory and, and uh, Betsy and I, uh, Jesus said at the, toward, toward the end of John 12, and now my hour has come. And what shall I say? Father, deliver me from this hour. No, it's for this hour I have come into the world. And so, Father, glorify yourself. Jesus says, I'm ready. I'm ready to fight Goliath. I'm ready to go to the cross. Here I here I go. I'm going to say all the things that are get me in trouble with the Pharisees, all the things that will force Pilate to put me on the cross. And I'll stand before my own people as they reject me and say, we have no king but Caesar. Um, that's the kind of king we have. And he died. He dies for us. Um, he dies for us that we might live. Number one, um, he gives his life that you, his sheep might live, that you might live now. Spiritually, that's your blank. Now, spiritually. So John 1, 4. In Jesus was life. He possesses life. And that life was the light of men. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, Jesus says, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Even so, John 5, 21. The Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You don't just have eternal life. You have spiritual life now. And he came that you might have life and might have it to the full and that your joy might be full or complete in this life. 
So John 3, 3, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So Jesus sovereignly from his throne at the right hand of God sent his spirit to you to regenerate you, to give you spiritual birth so that you would begin experiencing life to the full or abundant life, John 10, 10, in this life as you lived under his shepherding instead of under the shepherding of yourself, which led to no place good. And then number two, so Jesus died for that. So he could go up to the throne and send you his spirit so that you could have life abundant in this life. Spiritually, as we talked about last, last week. And then uh, number two, he died that you might, have, might live forever after this life. That you might live forever after this life. So John 1, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Who, who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. So Jesus gives his life that you might live like David gave his life against Goliath. He put himself out there that you might live and that you might live in this life and have abundance, but also that you might live forever and have even more abundance, greater abundance, perfect abundance in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth. So E kind of wrapping these two things around now, him giving you life, but him, whether you trust him or not, when he gives you commands. E, rejoice for the king who died for you as your shepherd, protecting you, is the king who rules and guides you. So the one giving you rules, the one that you rejoice over because he's your ruler, and he says, do this. How much more could he prove to you that he loves you? than his taking all your sins in his body on the cross that you might live forever in blessing. No one's done that for you. No one's done that for you, but Jesus. So the rhetorical question we have here, the last thing in our outline before the summary, would such a shepherd king who's given his life for you, would such a shepherd king who framed you and knows all things guide you in a way that would harm you. Does that make any sense at all? And it doesn't. And so we have to fight against that in our minds. I have to fight against that in my mind when, when I know what's obedient is hard, difficult to do, or uncomfortable for me. I have to remember there's no blessing walking away from my shepherd. Only thorns and wolves and bears and, and, and venomous snakes. Blessing comes from my king and walking in his ways. And he's proven he loves me and that his commands for me come out of his love by putting his life out there, by dying for me, his sheep. So our summary, summary, rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus is your king. Rejoice that Jesus is your king, for as king, he is your shepherd. He's your shepherd who died for you and now lives to lead you into blessedness and satisfaction. To lead you in blessedness and satisfaction, both in this life and in the life to come. Both in this life and in the life to come.
Let's pray.